So, welcome to the Investment Cuddle, episode seven. I'm Gary, and I'm here with Philip. And on our last podcast, we talked about indexes. Hopefully, today we're going to expand on that and put some context around these indexes in terms of how we buy them. So, we talked last time about FTSE 100 index, we talked to S&P 500 and lots of others. So I'd encourage anybody who's listening to this and hasn't listened to the previous episode to listen to that one. Probably puts this into a bit more context for you. We've talked a little bit about those indexes in the previous episode. Can we buy the FTSE 100, the S&P 500? So can we buy that index as a product that we, essentially we're investing in? The answer to that is, of course you can. And they're called trackers. That's what you buy. Okay, so we're not talking about the chocolate bar here, are we? Unfortunately not. No, we're talking about investment trackers. Okay, Okay. so I can buy a FTSE 100, so a UK index, via a tracker. Yes. Can I, and are, there, are there lots of these? Oh, there's a huge amount of them, a plethora of them. And you can. there's two ways of buying trackers. You buy them as a unit trust, as an ETF, an exchange-traded fund. If you remember, back in episode three where we talked about uh, unit trusts, investment trusts, and exchange-traded funds, if you want to know a little bit more about the structure of those products. But you buy trackers basically as unit trusts or ETFs. Okay, and I'm buying a tracker through an investment platform? So you will be buying, like you would do an ETF or a, a, a unit trust, you'll be buying that through some sort of platform, whether it's a bank's platform or a stockbroking platform, so or you in your ISA, or any SIP, or anything like that. So you, you still need a broker, essentially, someone to, to buy that through. That's right, yes. In that sense, that's a relatively easy way to get into the stock market. That's correct, yes. And the only problem with those is probably the sheer number of the things you've got to pick from. So you've got the standard big name tracker funds that you've heard of, such as the S&P 500, the Dow Jones, the FTSE 100, the DAX, the CAC 40 from France, um, and all the others you can possibly think of for every country in the world. But then you also get a bunch of other uh, tracker funds which are based on other indices that you may or may not have heard of. The other big indice generators, which then the trackers tend to follow, are apart from the ones you've heard of, is the, the FTSE Russell Group, who maintain the Russell Index for the small cap stocks in North America, and the Financial Times, Stock Exchange, 100, 200, all share index in the UK. You also got another company called MSCI, who've been making tracking indices since the 60s, and they do exactly the same as the Financial Times, Stock Exchange, Russell Group, making indices for all of those products around the world. And you also have another company called Wisdom Tree, who also do these. They tend to do them, these trackers are a bit different. They tend to try and use other weightings, not just market cap, and also other things like credit and so forth, aimed at the retail market. But the problem is though, when you read it, you'll have, I don't know, legal and general tracker fund, and, and M&G tracker fund, and you won't know exactly what it is you're buying. Is it the FTSE 100, FTSE All Share, MCS England, MCS World, you have to read in there. So the problem is there's so many of them, but they're all generally the same. You're buying some sort of index, copy of the index. Right, so I think, I think that's my experience is there's too many options, which I guess is general in life anyway, but there's too many options for these trackers. You don't really know, unless you're reading the prospectuses, the prospectus, what element of the index, that particular company, mm -hmm. let's say, like you said, you mentioned Legal and General, M&G, you've got the iShares. You don't know which bits they've picked. 
because they can the, these products can select certain elements out of the track out of the index can't they and that's a very good point so for the big ones such as the S&P 500 the Dow Jones the FTSE 100 the DAC the CAC they will buy the entire index it's only somewhere between 500 to 140 stocks are actually buying when you're getting others such as the world indices global market region indices or ones like the Russell 200 which is a small small cap stocks from North America or the FTSE all share index or the FTSE small cap you could be talking about several thousand stocks there so they tend to pick selected numbers of them that represent that sector so the problems can come in when the general market is going up the the tide as they say rises all boats mm-hmm. but when you have choppy waters um, you can find out that what they've invested in that particular tracker was not the thing that was going up, it was the one, the only one that was going down. So you, sometimes you can often see that your tracker doesn't track it very well, and often what they refer to is tracking error. But there's several things that make up a tracking error, including fees. So it's not always easy to find out exactly what it is you're buying and where there's an error, what it is. Because mm-hmm. if you're buying a tracker, by definition, it'll always perform worse than the index because you'll be because it's always after fees but generally for most trackers they're cheap very cheap if you're buying some of the vanguard trackers for example or iShares trackers or legal and generals or blackrocks trackers you could be talking there 0.1 percent which is very very cheap so you'll always find after many many years your fund tracking fund will always underperform the index because of the fees no matter how low they are okay but but I guess if you're buying this uh, tracker, what I think you're telling me here is that you have a look at what's in it, and that will come down to personal preference as to which one you pick. But perhaps the most important element, and this is I'm leading the witness here, is the fees. As cheap as possible is better than anything else when you're buying a tracker? So my personal preference, and probably not quite a lot of people would agree with me here, is yes, fees are most important. If you're looking at an active management and unit trust, you're often looking at a percentage point, a 1%, sorry, Uh, fee as a tracker because this is tracking an index it's devised and monitored and run by a computer I'll be wanting to look at stuff that's like 2.1% or lower I would not want to pay 1% fee because I'm not paying a human but again you have to be careful because quite a lot of trackers still charge 1% for the dumb investor yeah it's it's interesting you say that because I I remember it was a long time ago now but the Virgin tracker was out when we had personal equity plans rather than individual savings accounts so we're talking and 90s yeah 1990s. a long time ago but that was marketing itself as a cheap tracker and it it was charging one percent and they had they didn't have anything to do other than track the, yeah. in, track the index so you have to be really careful because there's still a lot of those out there that still charge a lot of money for essentially a computer driven investment vehicle that just matches the market okay so so for somebody who's going yeah i want to get into the stock market an index tracker sounds like quite a good option to start with it's not a bad option now personally and if you remember when we talked in episode five we mentioned about what size would i buy an investment trust or an etf because of the trading costs compared to a unit trust the same here so i've got a small amount of money maybe cut 10 20 30 pounds per month to spend or a lump sum of a couple of hundred quid i would buy unit trust trackers because they're the fees or percentages instead of a fixed price whereas if you got several thousand pounds maybe a ETF tracker is more cost effective but generally they're doing very similar things there so it depends on your size whether you go unit trust or ETF tracker 
But yes, they are a very good way to start because you're effectively just buying the market and there you've just got to pick which market do you want to buy? Do you want to buy a global one where it's weighted by the GDP weightings of each country? So you're going to buy mostly America, then China, because China makes up a very large part of the G second biggest GDP in the world. Just be careful on that. You may not want to do that. Um, or there's other trackers which are broken down equal weighting. So you've got to do a little bit. But as a general rule, if you're saying you want to buy the UK or US market, tracker's not a bad place to start. Okay. So we talked a little bit about how to buy, either through a platform or like a bank stockbroker. When's a good time to buy into a tracker? Well, one of the best ways probably is if you're doing it month in, month out as a direct debit or something, your monthly savings scheme, because you're just buying. If it goes up, you buy half, you buy slightly less next month. If it goes down, you buy more next month and it averages out over the longer time period you bought it. If they're going wildly choppy, or you're in panics of that nature or stock market crashes, maybe you don't want to buy a tracker because again, because they're mainly, most of the trackers are following indices which are market cap weighted, you're buying what was the momentum of the largest companies or the most successful companies. They may not be the most successful going down or in the future, you're, so you're always buying what was the momentum effectively. But if you're buying ones month in, month out, they can be quite good, but it's something you want to be wary of and at least understand that you may not want to buy them necessarily immediately during choppy times or when during a market crash. Okay, so yeah, so I think we've talked a little bit about what we classed as dollar cost averaging or pound cost averaging for the UK, where you are buying in, you know, and whatever the index is doing, as you said, it's up one month, it's down the next. You get an average over time, but at least you're accumulating units of that particular product. And if that's paying a dividend, you'll get more dividend on that. Or hopefully, as you said, if the market's slowly increasing over time. And the important thing right there, you get the dividend payments, which over time is where most of the growth comes from. And also, if you've picked the right sort of tracker, you've kept the costs really, really low, which is also the other thing that takes away most of your gains. Let's say you've got a lump sum and you're saying it's more than you know a few thousand pounds. Tracker's a good idea? Tracker's still a good idea, but probably you can now have the option of buying ETF trackers and they start to be slightly more cost effective when you get into several thousand pounds or bigger end bulk buying because of the fee structure of how you're buying it at directly off the stock exchange as a stock exchange traded product. If it's below that, you'll probably find the fees are better in a unit trust version of a tracker. And so the other point I'd maybe just make there is that if you have got a particular platform, sometimes those platforms allow you to trade on those trackers fee free um, we won't mention the particular so company generally, that, but some of them do, and it's unit, worth looking at. The unit trust versions, well, this is where we'll have to come into another episode in the future where we talk about fees and individual investment fees, another another episode. But as a general rule, some unit trust, generally, you don't pay a direct fee to buy and sell, whereas a, um, an ETF, like a stock market, because it's a stock market investment vehicle, such as a, um, a share, you have to pay stockbroking fees to buy it and sell it. So they're well, fixed exactly. costs. Well, exactly. And I think that's what I was just thinking. You're turning around and saying, you know, I want to invest 20, 20, 30 pounds a month. There are some platforms that won't allow you to buy at that level. You probably have to accumulate that for a few months. But the point being that you don't want to be spending 10% or more on your fees. fees. Yes. You want to be putting the whole amount in. And if that's, you know, pension pension funds or you know your your individual savings account you know that the, the the fees to are trade important. can be quite 
or to buy those funds can be quite quite crippling. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Would you buy an index or a, an index tracker? I do buy an index tracker. I do it through my company pension fund. Uh, it's a defined uh, contribution scheme, so I buy in and buy trackers, and the company doesn't guarantee what comes out. They only guarantee what they're putting in there. And in there, the options are mainly buying trackers. So I do buy trackers through my pension. For my other investments I actively run, at the moment I'm not buying trackers, but I have done in the past, and I probably will do in the future, but not this minute. Okay, so I, so I guess you know we just say for anybody who's not got a pension or is working for an employer who isn't in the pension scheme or has opted out, I hope they're doing something in terms of an investment for their, for their future and their, their pension. And I guess there you're getting a contribution from the company, so again, that you're, you're leveraging that as well yes um and you are also looking at a very long time horizon being very such a, very such long a, time such, horizon. A, such a young chap as you are you know as we're all 27 on this show but so you're buying it in a in something other than your pension would you consider buying tracker funds or do you think there's a better ways to go depends on what the market's doing at the time and where you are in the business cycle uh, yes they can be very good to buy um, I would tend to buy stock market share based indices I'm very skeptical of some of the most of the bond market indices and some of the what they try to call them as active indices where you're buying trying to buy cheap companies from a computer driven algorithm they could be good they could be bad they've only, they've only just been around they've not been through a recession yet to know whether they're actually good investments so mm. I tend to buy I buy one of the big names of market cap bonds because some some places that can be quite good if you know a broad range of companies that pay dividends in Europe it's not a basic place to do it also you get more choice in America than you do in the UK where you can get tracker funds that are they although it's the S&P 500 it's not market cap weighted they're called like equal weighted so they take the same 500 biggest companies but they have an equal percentage in the UK and in Europe, you don't get as many of these options as you do in America. You also get indices that maybe just take the high-yielding version of the S&P 500. They can be quite interesting and a cheap way of doing it, but you don't get as quite as much choice here in the UK as they do in America. Okay, so I think we've said, you know, you could go down the tracker route if you're looking at, you know, you want a bit of a bit of US exposure, you want some UK exposure. You don't really want to be looking at individual companies, let's say, but you are buying in many cases, I think you said on the previous episode when we went into the into detail around what the indexes contain, you're buying the top six companies in any of these index trackers and you're really reliant on them doing something. Whereas if you want to buy other things that are more interesting, you've you've got to try to look at an active managed fund. Not necessarily. Right? I personally would do, but it depends where you're on the business cycle. Because you could say, actually, when you're looking at some of the big indices, what you're doing is you're buying the big companies. But sometimes you can also get indices that just look at the small companies. So you might want to change between indices. Now, there are some times where you maybe want an active manager. But if you didn't want to do it an active manager and you wanted a tracker format, it's then picking. There are some time in the parts of the business cycle where you want the big international dividend paying companies in your tracker but there's other times when they will be underperforming compared to smaller country pacific mid caps and small cap companies so therefore if you're just buying the big named large trackers you get virtually none of that exposure mm -hmm. so you can do it via tracker route because it could be when you're coming out of recessions 
sometimes it's there you want the smaller companies more than the big companies and maybe sometimes before you're coming up to the markets where the business cycle's turning you might want to be more defensive by going into more of the defensive end of companies that pay a strong balance sheet, pay dividends and you might want the bigger ones so you can do it within a tracker with that sort of track active changes or you might want to get an ma active manager to do that for you because it's difficult to work out exactly where you are in the business cycle. Okay, but so I think for investors who are not going to be actively managing their own funds and are not going to be moving things around, it sounds like trackers are a reasonably sensible approach. You keep the you keep an eye on the fees or the percentage cost. Try and pick a platform that's not going to charge you too much for getting in and out of those trades. Um, and that's correct. They are good. They're not a bad option. They're not a bad option. Okay, so we've talked a little bit there about the options around trackers, and and the thought occurred to me that if you look at, you know, the U.S. market over the last let's say ten years, sitting in the U.K., so you're buying in pounds. If you just bought an S&P 500 index tracker, you'd have done quite well, wouldn't you? Oh yes, on the underlying shares, but because you also bought it in pounds and the pound had gone down against the American dollar, you'd done even better. But even just in dollar terms, you'd done well. Yes, better than the FTSE 100. So I think, as you said, you know, the business cycle's important. And I, and I guess you look at the last 10 years and we've been generally pointing up. For the last 10 years, it's been a general bull market. That, we'll see how long that continues. Okay, so that's great. So you've led me down the road of saying bull and bear, Phil. Okay, sorry. So what, what's a bull and what's... Other, other than the fact that they're two animals, which I think we can, we can already... Uh, I'm sure the audience can, can already grasp that. What do you mean by a bull market and a bear market? A bull market is where the trend, short-term, medium-term and long-term is generally just up, keep going up. A bear market is the exact complete opposite. It's generally where you're going down, long-term, medium-term. And short term, possibly. Okay, and how, and how do we define the difference between a bull and a bear market? And so, so you say we've been going up for the last ten years, and that's a bull so, market. What would constitute a bear market? What's the what's the turn mean? A twenty percent drop is generally considered a bear market. So once you've dropped about twenty percent or more, you're in a bear market, and the general trend is down. Right. So earlier on, we I mean we talked obviously about the stocks, stocks and shares trackers. You mentioned bonds in the previous episode and earlier on I think in this episode but you didn't sound very keen why not well bond indices where you're buying market caps and market capitalization weighted debt you're buying the most indebted so there can be a company that is moderately large but extremely indebted and therefore it would have a much much higher weighting of its bonds in the the index than maybe a, the biggest company which is, uh, there's a low amount of debt. So you can have a moderate sized company with a lot of debt, would be overrepresented if a bigger weighting in the bond indices than a very, very big company with a small amount of debt or a small company with a small amount of debt because it's a total amount of debt, not relative to the size of the company. So example, you could pick big companies like HSBC, Royal Dutch Shell, BP, AstraZeneca. They're big companies by market capitalization and they'll have big debts because they're very large. But as a percentage, they're not huge. But then you could have other companies, maybe more like RITs, uh, uh, real estate investment trusts, where they're investing in property, where most of it is highly geared because you're borrowing a lot of money to buy said building, where you're going, actually here, you might have the same amount of debt as BP, right. as a general trend. And you're going, which one is more risky? And you're going, the one that's higher leveraged? So it's total amount of debt 
which is what the bond indices weight you on. The other one comes to like credit quality. And what we mean here is like we have bond ratings. In bonds, you worried about return of your investment, not returns on your investment. So basically you want to make sure the company can make their interest payments and pay back the principal, not just about growth because your, your investments are capped at the amount of interest you can generate. So during the business cycle, you will get companies that borrow too much money and struggle to repay, and they tend to borrow more money to turn it over more and get bigger to try and get out there. But you can get to the point where they own so much money that they dominate the bond indices. You can often see that with sort of like in the last couple of years with the oil companies, the small to medium-sized American shale companies. They've um, offered a lot of debt up and they take up quite large fractions and percentages of the bond indices. Yet, if oil prices go down, there could be serious questions about can they pay the interests on them? So therefore, you're buying the most indebted? Do you really understand what you're buying? That's why I'm unsure of bond indices because I would, I'd be far more active with bonds about Am I buying a company that can actually make the interest payments, not just buying them because they're the most indebted? Right. So, and I think that's a good point generally, though, in terms of whether you're buying stocks or bonds, is to look at how much debt, whether it's an individual stock or an individual company, or the fund is is geared, as we, mm-hmm. we call gearing, is, is debt, or in this instance, what bonds are being issued to who, because you want to know whether you're going to get your money back. Yeah. So I, I get that, and I think it's one of those ones, especially where you know we've been in a regime where interest rates have been low, so money is cheap, so therefore debt is cheap. People have spent borrowed a lot of money to grow a lot of things, and they might have overcapacity coming forward, so there might be a lot of bankruptcies because of the, because you need to cut capacity, and that might come in the next couple of years' time. Yeah, and I, and I think you look at you know if companies, for example, have been out borrowing money to buy their own shares back. These share buybacks that everybody's been talking about, therein lies another risk. So, yeah, I think, again, you just be careful what you're buying by reading the information. And sometimes it's not very exciting, but the fact sheets and information, and it's not always easy to find, you know, the, the information that's actually useful on these funds or these companies. But it's always worth looking. And I think the, the bond market for me is a little bit scary because even though someone says oh you know you to have a balanced portfolio you should have 60% bonds and 40% stocks and you know that's that's where it sits you kind of go bonds of what and that's the big thing I'm happy with the bonds yeah don't want a computer to buy the bonds based on an index I want a human to go down and work out an active manager to go who's actually going to be able to pay the bonds back and I, I've done bought, and that's why I tend to buy bond funds with active managers in the past and then it depends where you are in the business cycle if you're in the go beginning of the go-go boom years with a bear market, yeah, tracking bond funds might be quite good. Don't ask too much about the quality of what you're building, because historically, junk bonds built Las Vegas, and they will prove to be very popular. But if you bought those at the wrong part of the business cycle, they prove to be disastrous. Okay, so I think we've covered indexes pretty well there. There's lots of options. I think that's the bit really I go back to in terms of products it's kind of bamboozling. So I guess my point of view would be if you're gonna buy an index, depending on what platform you're on, have a look at the charges, have a look at if there's any discounts or offers within that platform to buy those things and have a look what's in it. And that's probably not a bad place to start if you wanna go down the road road of a, a tracker. Is there anything else you would pick out of those elements or add to that that people should look out for or consider when they are looking to buy a, a, an index tracker? 
The only one I'd add to that is again, you might want to look at sectors, whether it's big companies, small companies. Do I want to buy one specific for a country or do I want to buy a regional one? And how do I want it weighted? They're the important. Once you've worked out that, then go, you know what you're looking for in the tracker to go buy it. And then, like you said, the next, the most important thing after that is fees because it's a computer driven, so you should not be charged much money for it. Okay, great. Well, thank you to Philip and we'll see you next time. This programme has been presented for information and educational purposes only. None of the information or content of the programme is to be taken as an offer, opinion or recommendation by the programme's hosts or guests to buy or sell securities. Nor is it intended to provide legal, tax, accounting, commercial or financial advice. Opinions and comments are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investing involves risk as prices go up or down based on a number of factors. Always consider consulting a financial professional before investing.